Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I want to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29 to 33. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We are in a series called Heart Matters uh, because our the matters of our heart determine the issues of our life. And so we've been talking about relationships and building relationships uh, together. And so we're going to get into the Word of God together this morning. But before we, we do that, Anna, would you pray? and just commit this word to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this house. Father, we're just overwhelmed by your presence and your goodness towards us this morning. So Lord Jesus, in this atmosphere of worship, Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, change us, transform us. God, help us figure out how to be in relationships that are healthy with each other. And Lord God, we just commit our hearts and our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So these relationships that we're talking about, obviously in this passage of scripture, it is giving like two analogies. One is the church, the family of God, the community of God, and then liking that to marriage. And so we can draw principles from the word here on all relationships and how they function, whether you're dating, whether you're married, single, and ready to mingle, uh, whether you're single and have no desire to be married again. Maybe you had a, a partner for years, and that partner has passed and gone to be in heaven, and so your relationships may tend to hedge around uh, interactions in the family of God. And so all these relationships that we have, whether they be independent or they're connected to the church, they all matter. The Bible says here, we are members of his body. The scripture says, though we are many and though we are different and we come from different backgrounds and different upbringings, we are all members of his body. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So when it comes to relationships, we're all different. We are units. We are individually created. We have individual thoughts. We have individual gifts and talents. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Anybody grateful today how God has created you, all the resources that you have in you? And so we are, we are a unit. We live independently. One is one. But then God says relationships are important. And unity means that I'm going to take my unit, my independent life, and I'm going to live interdependently with other people. In other words, I'm going to join my strengths to theirs, 
and help them become stronger. And I'm going to help join their strengths to mine and help me become better. Why? Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, two are better than one because they get a good reward for their labor. So here the Bible says that two are better, that you are going to be more successful because of relationships in your life. It goes on and says, For if a fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, because he has no other to lift him up. So relationships say when you're on your own, you don't have support. But when you're in community, when you're in connection, when you're in marriage, when you're in a relationship, when you're in church, that you have this support that comes from a network of people that are around you. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? There is security that comes out of relationships. Here's the thing I love, my favorite part of this whole passage. It says, and though one might prevail against one who is alone, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so we are, we are encouraged that strength comes from relationships. And so every cord, the, the, the lines inside a rope that are wound together are not Wound, not laying independently, they're wound together and each strand gives strength to the other strand. That's the church. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to just come and do a couple of songs and listen to a message and go home independently. We come together. Why? So we can join in relationships. We can get strength from one another. And then the threefold, the third part of that would come through where God himself is showing up in that relationship and he is adding strength to who we are in community. We are created for community. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. So we're looking at three words. Last week, we looked at leave. Today, we're going to look at hold, and we're going to look at becoming one as things that we need to do to be able to build uh, relationships together. And so it all begins with a leave. Uh, Abraham was told, before you can engage in this new vision, before you can engage in this new world, before you can engage in all these new possibilities, then I need you to leave. I need you to leave your father's house. I need you to leave your family. And I need you to leave your country. There needs to be a departure. There is a leaving. Before you can hold fast and before you can be in unity, there needs to be a leaving. Marriage is about leaving and it's about receiving. And when you leave somewhere, you don't tend to leave empty-handed. You tend to take things with you. And so in marriage, I'm, I'm bringing things and then my partner is receiving things from me. When Anna left, she's leaving things and she is bringing things. And so we, we leave things that we are not gonna help us because remember, you know, there's some things from our past that are not going to be beneficial for our future. And so we turn our back and we leave things that are like, this is not going to help my relationship. And it may not be bad things. They may just be things like living independently and being on your own schedule and doing it your own way and not having to think about anybody else and just reporting to yourself. 
And now you have to leave that independence behind if you want to become one flesh where you have to consider somebody else. And so we need to make those decisions. What do we need to leave behind? Sometimes we have no idea. Sometimes our partner or our friends can say, yeah, it's not really a good thing. You may want to leave that behind because it's a blind spot. And so as our friends receive us or our partner receives us open-handedly, then we need to come in open-handedly, ready to drop things and leave things behind uh, as well. And then we need to receive things as we go together. So those, those uh, uh, things, the leaving and receiving, need to be a result of conversations, especially if you're going into a, into a marriage or you're in the marriage and you're leaving and receiving things. So when Anna and I were married, uh, my mother uh, had Alzheimer's, she had dementia, and she became uh, very ill to the point where my father, who was the caregiver for her, burned out. He has what they call uh, carer's burnout. My, my sister thought my dad was going to die. So they thought he had cancer, and then they did all the checks, and he was fine, but he just had what they call carer's burnout, and so put my mum into a home. Well, then they were elderly, they're in their older years, and they needed somebody to come in and help them navigate uh, that process. And so uh, that really fell on, on me as my responsibility. And so uh, that's my home, and even though I've left home, I didn't leave them and like, see, you don't want to be here. Obviously, we still have relationship and, and value. And I want to look after my parents because they looked after me when I was young. And so Anna and I had a conversation and we made a mutual decision that visiting my parents three or four times a year, they live in Australia, so it's expensive, it's a long journey, it usually takes two weeks to get there and back by the time you've flown down and helped them. And so we had this financial commitment and this time commitment that we had to agree together as a leaving and receiving of my family so we could help them in those, uh, those years. Remember that? That was a, what some of the other things that we had to talk about or... Oh, well. Rich, her husband, Rich. So her first husband passed away and uh, we carried uh, a lot of his books and Bibles and I think tennis shoes. There's all sorts of paraphernalia that was sentimental to, to Anna and we, I carried those everywhere. The, before we go to this next point, the main thing that we carried, um, and I need some sympathy so just kneel in, lean in right now and get ready to go, oh, are you ready? Because I'm trying to give you a warning. I'm going to drop it like it's hot and lean in. Her very, very heavy piano that she has taken with her all her life follows us in our marriage and has been up yeah. many flights of stairs. I don't think you had to do the worst. We had, there was this one occasion where that, that piano had to go up to a fourth floor, what we thought was a walk-up, and then turns out that it actually fit in the elevator. But, uh, yeah. It's all, it's baggage. It's all baggage. Not all, not all baggage is bad, but it's things that you're, you're taking into your marriage uh, from your life before that come with you along the way. And uh, hey, as you do that, there's going to be things that you need to do as you're leaving your old life and you're joining together to hold fast into something that's new. 
into some, as you make a family, as you make a new life together. And uh, that's what we're going to dig into today is holding fast and becoming one. So as we jump in here with holding fast, verse 31 of Ephesians says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That word hold fast. I like some of the other, uh, the other translations. They, they say instead of hold fast cherishes or joined united or cleave together is this sense of how do we stick together? How do we stay together? Once we've made this commitment, once we've made this decision that we're going to be together, we're going to be married. What are some of the practices that will help set us up for, uh, staying glued together in marriage? Cause it's not easy. Mar- uniting two lives together and staying together for a long time is, uh, is, is a significant thing. And, uh, I, I know there's a lot of you who celebrated a lot of years of marriage here in this house. I know pastor Dan, passed up 60 years, which is amazing. Uh, we've been at, we're at 17, coming up on 17 now. Um, and it takes some glue, some continual maintenance to stay married, to stay together. One of the things I think that's a vital component of that glue is setting good relational boundaries. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, the apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what Paul's saying here is that while you have permission to do a lot of things, you can be friends with whoever you want to be with. You can hang out with whoever you want to hang out with, and it's not wrong. Um, but there, not every type of relationship inside a marriage is going to be beneficial. Um, he, the message paraphrase Eugene Peterson puts it like this. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate, which I think is a great way to put it. I'm going to read that again. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. So if I went around doing whatever I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. That's how uh, the paraphrase is. So one of the things that we've had to do in marriage is figure out, okay, where are the boundaries of our marriage? What's, What's going to be acceptable and not acceptable? with relationships outside the two of us. So some of those things are physical boundaries. So we've, we've made boundaries to say, okay, we're not going to be alone in a car together with somebody else, um, with that's of the opposite, the opposite gender, or, um, we're going to be careful about how we have meetings, keeping doors open for meetings that are one-on-one, uh, to just try to create some physical boundaries that create safety around our, our marriage and then emotional boundaries. And this is, this is an important one too, is just guarding the conversations that you have around, uh, in the workplace. You know, if you're in, if you're in relationships with people who are not your spouse and you don't want to slip into uh, an inappropriate relationship with them, you to guard the conversations that you're having soon as they get very personal and not about the work that you're doing or not, not about the task that you're doing, then you're moving into a different kind of relationship beyond just a professional relationship or, or at school. And so we've got to learn how to guard our conversations so that we can guard our emotions and our, our emotional boundaries in our life. I, I really think it's impossible to be best friends with somebody who's of the opposite sex that is not your spouse and not set yourself up for trouble in your life. That's going to, it's going to erode the intimacy of your marriage. If you have very, very good friends who are of the opposite sex. Now it's not that you can't be friends with people of the opposite sex, but 
if I'm going to be friends with another man, then I need to make sure that my husband is part of that relationship. It's not just the two of us, but that we're in this relationship together. Or uh, if he's going to be in a a friendship with another woman, he's going to make sure that I'm in that relationship too. Or, Or that person's spouse is in the relationship too. And so we just keep it we keep it in a rule of three where there's always three of us in the conversation, three of us in the relationship together. And that provides safety and it provides trust and confidence in those relationships. And so as a, as a partner, as, as Anna's husband, the boundaries that make her comfortable um, have to make me comfortable. And I, I don't need to be jealous or... You know, like, don't you trust me? Like, all those, no, you just, it's not about not trusting me. If you're a man, I wouldn't trust yourself. That's, that's the bottom line. We shouldn't trust ourselves. And so we just need to have healthy boundaries. Remember when we first got married and uh, we were helping plant a church downtown Chicago. I think Anna was home in Indiana. And I was driving back from uh, City Church and I was on Chicago Avenue. And there's a young girl from our church in Indiana walking down the street on her own downtown Chicago. And so I pulled over. I said, what, what are you doing? Where are you heading? And she said, um, I'm heading home to Indiana. I'm going to catch the, the train. And I said, well, I'm, I'm driving there. I'm, I'm going on my way. Why don't you just jump in the car and I'll, I'll give you a ride? And then she said, thank you. And so she jumped in the car and I got to the next traffic light. And I thought, you stupid person. What are you smoking? Like, this is not good. And so I, 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 t- I think I texted or called Anna and I told her what had happened. And she said, what are you thinking? And I said, well, obviously I wasn't. Um, I wasn't thinking. I had a, a brain lapse for the moment. And she said, you need to get her out of your car and uh, get her on the train. And so I just, I pulled up across the side of the road and I said to this girl, hey, I'm sorry. This was, you know, I, I, this is uh, my fault. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have asked you to get in the car. This is not appropriate uh, for a single girl to be in the car with a married man heading back to Indiana. And so I, I need to let you do what you'd plan to do. And, and uh, please forgive me. I, I don't want it to be, I don't, it's not about you. And it's not about anything. It's just about appropriate boundaries. Yeah, I think that's really important because it wasn't about her. And it's never about that other person being threatening or somehow a bad person or something like that. It's about you set a boundary that's just a boundary that's universal. And you say, this is, this is how we're going to place protections around our marriage is by setting these boundaries and then keeping these boundaries in place. Because this girl wasn't a stranger to Anna. No. Anna. Anna had been her youth pastor, had led her and knew her personally. So it wasn't like some stranger getting into the car, but the crossing of the boundary. Here's a problem. I'm, I'm talking tonight to our young people in our high school service at five o'clock on purity. And every boundary you cross, once you cross the boundary, opens the door to another boundary. And so if I cross this boundary with this one girl, even though it's innocent, not not a problem, I've crossed a boundary, and if I'm happy to cross it, then it just means that it's going to open me to cross another boundary. And so when we put boundaries around our life, they're there to keep us secure, they're to keep us on track, to liberate us, not to suppress us. They become principles that are guidelines. So then it's not about the individual. It it keeps things like jealousy or controlling or distrust out of the picture because that's not what it's about. It's about uh, just gently protecting each other and how we're going to relate to each other. 
So that's one thing to, to glue the marriage together. Another way is to develop spiritual principles in our relationship connection. So prayer is got to be an imperative part of your relationship. And again, thinking about relationships as married couples, as dating couples, as the church, family together, prayer is what will weld our hearts uh, together and keep us in alignment with the Spirit of God. Worship is incredibly important. It's never been an optional extra for us. Uh, and, And we're both in ministry, obviously, but it was never like church or ministry was going to be something we could take or leave. This is what we're called to do. This, I'm actually a better person as a pastor for my wife than I would be if I was out of ministry. And I believe the same for her. So whatever, whatever God's calling you to do, you've got to make worship a priority. You've got to make praise a priority. You've got to make the kingdom of God a priority. You've got to make biblical generosity a priority in your relationships. I believe that you've got to make church and church community a priority in your relationship. I think if you're going to have a healthy relationship and you have a strong relationship that keeps growing together and growing in the things of God, then church attendance can't be an optional extra. It's, it's got to be something that, that you value in your life. And if your spouse or friends can come with you, that's also great. But make church the priority in your life to weld your lives together. Yeah, I think it's easy for us to think, oh, well, prayer is between me and God. Why does it matter if I pray with my spouse? But there's actually something that happens when we're praying together is our deep needs and our deep prayers, the things that we're believing God that we're asking for uh, as individuals, we show them to each other when we pray together. And that creates a vulnerability and that vulnerability creates trust because we're now we're showing who we are to our spouse. Now we're saying, now we're saying it's not just you and me, but we're asking God together. This is where that threefold that threefold strand comes into place. And we're saying, okay, God, we want, we want you and we want you to be right here in the middle of what we're doing. And, and it aligns our spiritual priorities together. And, and if you're in a relationship and your, your spouse, your partner is not a Christian, they're not saved, they're not with God, then you're like, well, how does that apply uh, to me in these principles? And you are the person that has to take the onus of those principles. So you pray for your family. And if it's your husband or your wife, you pray over their pillow. And you pray, you know, you that my mom used to do that. I was a long way away from God. Yeah. And my mom used to sit in the living room and scratch my back. I like my back being scratched. And my mom would sit there and scratch my back. And all the time, I just thought my mom was being a loving mother. She's just sitting there loving her son, scratching his back. I didn't realize for five years, every back scratch was a save him in Jesus' name. Let him hate sin in Jesus' name. Let his girlfriend dump him in Jesus' name. Let him hate alcohol. She prayed over, she prayed over my, uh, over my uh, clothing. She prayed over my sheets, everything. She just kept praying over me. So pray for your spouse. And then wait for a God-ordained time. It's not going to be every week. It's not going to be every time. But there's going to be a time where there may be just an avenue for your spouse. Maybe something happened to a friend or a parent. Or can I, can I, can I pray about that? Now, if they go, no. I don't want you to, and they're angry, then that's cool. I, I will be praying for you. I'll be, I'll be praying. You may not. If they go, yes, then pray a simple prayer. Don't, don't, don't pray a long, drawn out, you know, power of the Holy Ghost. 
Just say, just come to God and say, my, and, and ask God and, and watch him do a miracle. So every, and it's even like that with church. Your, your partner's are not coming, your spouse's not coming to church. Then wait for opportunities where you think this may be a good invite. And that's what we try to create at Word of Life. We try to create different series and different events that would happen that could be easy invites for people. Easy invite for the people at work, your friends, uh, those people uh, around you. So maximize on those moments. Yeah, one more really practical thing is just taking time for conversation. And this is a fun thing, like when you're right at the beginning of your relationship, it's like you want to know everything about each other. I remember when we, when we started dating, we were long distance dating because he was in Seattle, I was in Chicago, and I wrote a journal, I think it was something like 200 questions that I had for him. Everything from like, what's your favorite color, to like, you know, what's your favorite meal, what's your sport, all yeah, of not that. Not that we're different, but she had 200 questions for me. I had zero. <laughs> But she had good questions. <laughs> but these are the questions that seeded into it. But even now, you know, 17 years later, you can get to the point where you're like, I already know what you think about everything. I don't need to ask you about this. But staying interested in saying, I really want to know what you, th- what you think about what's going on in the world, you know, what you're thinking about, what you're dreaming about. Um, this, is, this is such a vital part of just gluing us together in our focus and in our relationship, where we're going together. Yeah, and so we just have those conversations. We have those moments where we're interacting with, with each other and finding balance and then creating memories. I think, I think memory creation, doing things deliberately to, to create memories together because the reality is at the end of our life, that's all we've got are memories. That's all we're left with. We celebrated uh, Sister Linda a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan's wife, and she's passed and gone to, to, to heaven. And we spent, I think, three hours just celebrating as people got up and they shared their memories, how she'd impacted their life, how she had the things that she'd said. And so in our relationship as we go on, you know, you're... You're just really developing. We have 17 years of, of memories that bond us together. We've had times as a family where we specifically said, hey, we're not doing presents this Christmas. We're going to just go away together and have some time to create memories. And those things become so rich. When the stuff goes away, uh, they, they become glue that come up around the dinner time these days. Oh, you remember the days when we were doing this? And those are the things that help make us family together. It's just being intentional in making those times. I know when we started, when we uh, got in... Uh, marriage I had three daughters I brought three daughters into our family and uh and I remember when me and the girls would sit around because we'd been through trauma together we'd been through hard times together and so we had memories so Shreya Chloe Brooke and I we had memories that we were bringing into the relationship and they were memories that Anna wasn't connected to and so when we, we first got married, I know that was challenging because we would just sit around the day, oh, I remember that time then, I remember when you did that, remember that? And, and not deliberately trying to isolate her from the conversation, we were just remembering things, but I remember Anna feeling incredibly like, mm, you know, like 
because she wasn't in the memories. She wasn't connected to that moment. So we have been very proactive over the years of being deliberate about creating family memories together. So when we sit down at the dinner table together, we're all together. We are having memories that we have made, moments that we've made together, being deliberate in creating great memorable uh, occasions. And sometimes you got to heal the old to make new ones too. Find healing from that and be, be healed from those things that have been painful in the past. But Jesus is so faithful to bring healing when we bring those things to him. That is for sure. And some of my memories aren't good. <laughs> some memories you've got to bail on and get healed of your memories and embrace new thoughts and new, new thinking and things, things like that. I think another uh, glue factor would be to show love in a way that your partner can experience it and receive it. And Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, he lists them out as this, words of affirmation, quality time, uh, gifts, touch, and serving or being served as five love languages. And he would say that your partner... Uh, would have one of those as a priority. And so if it's touch and uh, you're not holding or touching or kissing or, or hugging that person, you're not conveying love in a way that they can receive. So discovering what is it that makes uh, my spouse, what is it that makes my partner light up? And, and is it gifts? Is it words of affirmation? Is it listening? What are the principles that I need to use? But I would suggest to you that every one of those should be a part of who we are as a Christian. I don't think we pick and choose and go, okay, you know, uh, you, you like touch, and so that's all you're going to get. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to affirm you. I, I'm, I'm not going to support you. I'm not, I'm not going to give you any time. Just touch you. Hey, Okay, you should be good to go. No, we, we need to embrace all those love languages as a natural part of who we are. Every day, I think, uh, I try to anyway, I can't say every day, but 99% of, of that, I, I'll always say to Anna, thank you for being my wife. Thank you for marrying me. You, you had options. I'm glad you didn't take them. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, it's, it's an honor to be married to you. Thank you for enriching my, my life. Thank you for being my best friend. I use words of affirmation. I'm going to take time to listen to what she's saying. Lean in. Repeat back what, what she's saying. Have conversations. Uh, for me, it's touch. That's my love language. And so I'm going to always hug and hold her hand and things like that. But you need to engage in all of those things together if you're going to be serving and time. Every, everything matters in a relationship. I think that happens in church. I think those love languages happen in church as we are church community. We shake somebody's hand. We give them a hug, a high five them, fist pump them, give them a COVID safety, just elbow in the air, whatever it is, whatever is appropriate for you. Listening to people. People, being engaged in conversation. I don't think there's anything worse in church. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where you've been in uh, the lobby chatting to somebody. And so, like, I'm chatting to Pastor Dan, and he's talking to me, and I'm talking back to him, but then I don't look at him. And I. If it had that happen, you're not engaged. And so I, I try to, I, I know some of you have tried to talk to me when I've been talking to somebody else and you're wondering why I'm ignoring you deliberately. 
because I'm talking to this person. I can see you in the peripheral vision, hanging in there, trying to get in there, waiting to find your edge in. I'm going to lock you out while I talk to them until we're, we're, we're done. It's not always easy. It has to be a discipline. But I want to encourage you, when you're talking to somebody and engaging, give them your attention. Look them in the eye. Let them know that you're listening to what they're saying. Feed it back if you don't really, when you say that, is this what you're saying? I'm not really getting it. I, I believe that we need to have personal interactions. Really important today in the email, text messaging, social media environment we live in. Absolutely. It's easy, I think, because we all have a preferred way of receiving for us to give our love in the same way that we prefer to receive it. So when we got married, I think yours has always pretty consistently been touch and affection. He's a very touchy-feely person. And uh, when we got married, mine was Mine was definitely uh, time. It was definitely spending time together. And so I had to adapt the way I gave him affection and love to make sure that he was able to, to, to feel it, to experience it the way that we were giving. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, it was just that old, that old story. Like, you know, I said, I love you. And when something changes, I'll let you know, you know, it, you never say it again. Um, it, but we've got to make sure that if, if our partner needs those words of affirmation, that we're taking time to say, because I care about you, I want you to be able to receive this in a way that, uh, that is impactful for you in particular. And for, for, I think both of us, touch has become an important piece of how we love each other. And uh, it's, it's definitely a precursor for intimacy, which is the biblical way you to You know connect. touch is a part of both of you. When we were separated last night on the plane, our seats had gaps, a big, pretty large gap between them. And so I was throwing peanuts at her <laughs> just to give her my attention. Remote touch. <laughs> But the Bible talks about how married pe- marriage is the biblical way to connect sexually, that that is the, the right parameters within the covenant of marriage. It's so important that you, you're taking time to give yourselves to each other in this way. First Corinthians 7, 2 says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to the, his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. It's this, it's this very uh, equal relationship in the bedroom where two people are, be, are becoming one physically in that sense. And I, and I talked about this a little bit back in November with you all about what happens, but it's a powerful bonding tool for us inside a marriage uh, because it releases those two hormones. The first one is dopamine. It's that pleasure center in our brain. But the second one is oxytocin. That hormone oxytocin is the same hormone that gets released in women when they give birth to children or when they're nursing children and it bonds a mother to her child it's that unbreakable love bond that's, that carries through a lifetime as a result but uh, that's what sexual intimacy does is it releases oxytocin in a relationship and it creates an actual chemical bond in your brain and keeps married couples well past their youth you know way way beyond their prime when they're not looking nearly as good as they used to but it keeps them in love with each other and saying man you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen you're the most attractive thing I've ever 
seen. And it, it, the, the more you do, the more that bond strengthens inside a marriage. And so the Bible says that we need to con- consider that our bodies first belong to him, but then our bodies belong to each other. And that's a God-honoring way to express uh, merit, the marriage bond is inside, is inside sexuality. Anybody in the house glad that God created dopamine and oxytocin? Anybody celebrating? Come on. Jehovah oxytocin. Only a few of you. I'd be a bit more excited than that if God's listening. I think there's seasons where, you know, one partner's sick or there's something going on. It requires patience, you know, when, when one partner has less needs than another. But I think there's a, there's a point of sacrifice in there and saying, I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel wanted. So sometimes it's not about me and what I need or what I want, but I want to make sure that, that you are feeling wanted, that you're feeling loved, that you're feeling the affection that you need. And these are important pieces of how we bond together. And if you're coming into a relationship, and I think this is really important for, uh, for single people to consider, um, and, and married people to, to consider, but if you're going into a relationship and uh, there is a, a level of sexual brokenness in you that's never been mended, somebody years ago hurt you, somebody years ago broke you, and it's never really been mended, and, it, and it be, it's in your memory in, in your life. As a, as a couple, um, you need to work on healing. As an individual that is going to someday marry somebody or enter a relationship with somebody, you, you have a responsibility to, to get healing for that uh, early. It, it's it's, it's, it's going to rob you from your relationship. It's going to rob you from intimacy. It's going to cost you. And if somebody broke you when you were five, I, I just want to encourage you, don't give them the authority to rule you when you're 20. Yeah. If they broke you when you were five, don't give them the authority to rule you when you're 30. Uh, I, I, I have experienced it. I've seen it where people got broken when they were young and they never dealt with it. And then it destroyed their marriage when they were older. And then they lost their marriage, they lost their children, they lost years, and they gave that authority to the person who hurt them when they were don't that's why that's why Jesus talks about forgiveness. How you've got to process forgiveness, you've got to get over that. Don't have to trust that person ever again, but you have to forgive. You've got to get healing. That's where good Christian counseling, that's where some if, if it's Bad, some trauma therapy, uh, prayer, prayer ministry, uh, having people in the house of God who can pray over you and keep praying the healing. I would say the deeper the brokenness, the more of those avenues that you want to engage so you can get yourself to a place where you can overcome that, that situation and be a whole person. And I, that's what I love about the gospel. Jesus talks about, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, people whose hearts have been smashed into so many thousands of people like a vase that you looked at it and thought I can never get that back together where the gospel is God taking that heart that broken heart and mending it putting it back together welding every piece marrying every piece nurturing every piece and getting you a whole heart so if you've been broken or you've been hurt or you've been let down or you've been betrayed uh, or uh, you know you've been soiled uh, some of you feel victimized some of you pressured those things can't you you need to get them out of the dark while they're in the dark they have power 
You've got to step out of the dark, bring them into the light. You've got to look that thing head on, face to face, and say, hey, I need help. You, you, you probably can't help yourself. You probably can't heal yourself. You probably need somebody else to get involved. That's why the church has pastors. That's why the church has life groups. That's why the church has counseling uh, centers and people that are connected. Because we want to help you become a healthy, whole version of you. If you're going to cleave to somebody, you're going to cling to somebody, you're going to leave something behind. And I think brokenness and all those things are good things to leave behind to leave behind, to drop them, and to move into cleaving. Otherwise, taking that with you could potentially destroy that ability to trust. And so if you're here today, and uh, and that's your story, you're like, man, you are talking to me, that is me, I've never talked to anybody, Then, then maybe take a prayer card and fill it out, give us a little bit of detail. You don't have to talk about your story. You don't have to put your story on paper. But maybe just your name. And just a contact number, again, legibly, so we can understand it. And uh, just say, I need some help. What, what John was talking about Sunday morning, I, I need some help. And, and you may want to put a serious help. Or I just need somebody to pray with me. Or I think I need some counseling. Or I have no idea what I need. Just write that on the card. You can drop that in. There's boxes on the way out here. And I think you can put those cards in those boxes on the door as you go out today if you want to do that. Or uh, you can put it at the, uh, the Connect Center. Or you can give it to one of our pastors and leaders that are here. We want to help you. We want, we, want, we, want to, we, want, we want to help you. We're supposed to land on the next point. But there's no way we're going to get to the next point in four minutes. It would be a major flyover. Don't you think? I think it'll be a major flyover. So I want to ask our, our uh, worship team to come back up right now. And because I think on this point, um, maybe God needs to do some healing. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's some people here right now that need God to move in their life. I can't think of a better time to pray with you or pray for you or believe God with you than, than right here, right now. Could you stand with me and right across this place? Thank you, Jesus. Can we just ask, as the band's coming, can we just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, invade this room. Holy Spirit, invade this room. We're asking you to come and do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Love on us. There are people in the room right now, Holy Spirit, that have been so broken so let down, so betrayed, that this moment is incredibly tough. To respond in faith, to say, I want to be healed, is incredibly tough for them. But I pray that you would send angels to stand with them right now. You would surround them with your love and grace. We thank you that Word of Life is a church home, that they would feel home, they would feel safe, they would feel secure, they would feel loved, they would feel valued, they would feel needed, they'd feel wanted, they'd feel important, Lord God. Let let that be their portion right now. Pour it over them right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.